Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Travel Squad Podcast. We adventure the world together, one passport stamp at a time. We're here to share travel news, tips, and our own adventures with you. Every Travel Tuesday, we share stories on a variety of topics, including our hometown, San Diego, hiking, weekenders, national parks, international getaways, and inspiring you to go on your own adventures, even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. And I'm Kim. And And we're we're the the Travel Travel Squad Squad Podcast. Podcast. So grab your ticket and your passport. And don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hey, squaddies. Welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad Podcast. We have very special guests joining us on this week's episode, Kathleen Petticord and Leif Simon, founders of Live and Invest Overseas. Live and Invest Overseas is the world's savviest, most experienced, and most trusted source of information on a multitude of expat topics such as living, retiring, investing, and even starting a business overseas. Live and Invest's website, newsletters, and international conferences offer an invaluable wealth of knowledge on all the ins and outs of banking real estate, visas, taxation, how to go about getting permanent residency, you name it, whatever questions or information you want and need to know on how to make that expat life possible, Live and Invest is the authority on the matter. This was such a great conversation. It really got all three of us fired up about the possibilities of actually living overseas, whether that's full-time when we retire or part-time and creating our life in that way. I think the three of us really gravitated towards everything they shared around actually buying investment properties overseas. No, we've talked about it before, but they really answered some of the questions that were roadblocks for us on how do you even do it? Like just imagine if we actually did purchase like a condo in Rosarito that we talked about where we can rent it out fully souped up with everything people need for their trip. And our squaddies can actually book that trip, maybe even have a guest appearance from us on the trip. I think it'd be amazing. That would be amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation with Kathleen and Leif because we talked with them about how they got started in their careers and how it evolved into their expat lifestyle. And they shared with us some of the best places to start investing or looking into living abroad and just some really practical advice on how to get started. And with that, let's welcome Kathleen and Leif to the Travel Squad podcast. 
Kathy and Leif, you are both a wealth of knowledge and inspiration in the expat life. And we're going to get into all of that. But before we dive in, I want to go way back and hear, how did you first get into travel? I didn't take my first trip out of the United States until I was 18. So for my spring break that year, as a graduation gift, my parents gave me a trip to Bermuda. That was my first trip out of the country. And I wasn't that excited about the Caribbean, to tell you the truth. But since I was a little girl, I wanted to go to Europe. I I like castles and kings and the history and romance of the old world. That just idea gets me very excited. And so finally, when I graduated college, went to work for a publishing company, I took my first vacation with my college roommate and we were able to take a month off and we bought URL passes and we traveled to 15 countries in that month. So it was a crazy, it's that cliche, you know, 15 countries in 14 days kind of trip by train. Train travel through Europe is great. And then the company where I went to work immediately out of college turned out to have a big interest that I didn't even realize before I took the job in travel and especially in European travel. And the magazine that I, a couple of years later, ended up editing for them. And then I was publisher of that magazine a few years later, International Living, which is still around. For that role, I was able to travel to two or three new countries a month for a couple of years as editor and then publisher. So that is what really opened up to me the idea of travel, especially beyond the countries I had always dreamt of, like France, for example. I'd always wanted to spend time in Paris. Uh, But now I was going all over the world, Central America, South America, throughout Europe, eventually to Asia. So that was what really gave me the travel bug. Well, for me, it's as simple. I did the 30-day nine-country tour when I was 17 found a brochure in the Dillard's travel agency one Christmas and saved up my money to take a trip that summer and then went from there. My interest in international in general goes back to even my schooling, which I got an international MBA and wanted to work and live overseas. So it's just always been in both of us, I think. Mm -hmm. For you, Kathy, was it just happenstance that the magazine that you were editing for happened to be a travel publication? Or was that something after your trip to Europe that you've said, if I'm going to do this type of profession, I want to do it in the travel field? I would love to say that it was all strategic and well thought out and planned. But in fact, it was completely accidental. The whole The whole story is completely accidental. My whole life is completely accidental. I took this job because all I knew clearly I wanted throughout my college career and then when I graduated was I wanted to be a writer. It was very clear on that. But I was in Baltimore, Maryland. There's not a big publishing industry in Baltimore, Maryland. It's, you know, there are a few tiny little operations. And this company I went to work for, Agora, which is also still there, when I was hired, I was the 12th person. So this was not a big publishing house. This was a tiny little operation, but they needed an entry level editor. I was engaged to someone, not to leave. It was my first husband. I was engaged to someone and he wasn't leaving Baltimore. So I wasn't leaving Baltimore. So I kind of defaulted into taking this entry level editor job at Agora because the only thing I was clear on was I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be in publishing. After I took the job, I found out that one of their divisions was focused on travel. I didn't even realize that when I took the job. And so in the beginning, I was a very low-level editor for all of their publications. They had about 10 publications at the time. And one of them was International Living, which I only came to know after I took the job. And that that opened up everything for me. 
just worked out perfect for it you. Worked then. out amazingly well. I am I'm lucky, and I, they say it's better to be lucky than smart, and that has worked out for me. <laughs> and so, did you and Leaf end up meeting traveling, or did you guys meet in where you were living and working? So, so I was an actual, actually an international living subscriber, and Kathy put together a tour to Ireland for business purposes, but had a bunch of uh, subscribers come on that as well, and that's where we met. I worked overseas already after grad school um, for about a year for a drilling company and the places where oil is and they send you is not really places human beings should be. So um, I left that job and came back to Chicago and then finally decided I wanted to go back overseas. So the trip to Ireland was my first foray into trying to figure out where to go. And we met in the end of June. Mm -hmm. And so the short version is we met at the end of June. We were engaged in September, married in November, moved to Ireland in December. Neither one of us tends to waste too much time making decisions. Uh, so things work out. That all, that all worked out. And in fact, just a quick pitch, because Kathy won't say it, but she, she just released a memoir book of our seven years in Ireland um, that's available on so Amazon. Tell, so it tells exactly this story. This right. is what we're saying right now is the beginning of the At Home in Ireland book. Relief and I meet on the tour in Ireland, end up dating for two months, him in Chicago, me in Baltimore, dating for two months. We're engaged in September, married in November. We moved together with my eight-year-old daughter to Ireland in December. And then are there for seven years. So we renovate an old Georgian stone Irish country house. We start right. the publishing business. Uh, we have a son. I found out about three months after we were married that I was pregnant. So two months after we had moved to Ireland, I was pregnant. And so we had our son. And, and then we had a whole lot of misadventures, a whole <laughs> lot of, you know, lost in translation because the Irish speak English, but not really. And they never understood us and we don't understand them. And they drove us crazy from a business perspective because they were all just let's have a cuppa and have a chat. And oh, what we don't do today, we'll do tomorrow. There's a joke in Ireland among the Irish that they don't have a word that expresses the sense of urgency as manana. And so... So we, we, were, we weren't prepared for that. We were both very ambitious, business-minded people. And suddenly we found ourselves in this very small town where nobody was nobody too worried was, about business. Nobody was in a hurry to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so living there, and that's why it's fun to, to have written this book uh, in the past couple of years with the perspective we have today. At the time, the Irish drove us crazy. Today, I look back and realize that was really, for me so far, I've got whoever knows how much living left. But for me at this point, that was the sweetest time of my life, looking back at right. it. Well, and at the time, we would say, if you're retired in Ireland, it's great. The Irish will stop in the middle of the street and chat with you. And so for retirees, it is a wonderful destination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it fit into you know us learning that and talking about it with the writing that we do. Well, so it started off as the tour to Ireland, and clearly that's where you guys met, fell in love. But what about Ireland made you guys decide, well, now we're actually living here? Because I feel like that's a perfect segue because we want to get into the meat and potatoes of really how you guys came to do what it is that you do now. So why was it that you guys decided Ireland and we're living here now? For me, it was, so I was working for Agora and I had been there 13, 14 years by this point, And I, had, I was... A partner in the company. I was the uh, I was vice a vice president of Agora. I was running the division. I was running two divisions, but one of them was the one that published International Living, the travel division, which by this time had become much bigger. So Bill Bonner, who's the owner of Agora, my boss, 
he wanted to diversify Agora into the EU and he wanted an EU base. So we were doing research into opportunities for where, where in the EU would make the most sense. And our attorney found this program that the Irish Development Agency was uh, promoting at the time to try to attract foreign investment. And so they were offering a very low, very appealing corporate tax rate and incentives for how many local Irish you employed to companies who would come and set up operation under this IDA program. We qualified for that. That was why I was moving to Ireland. And that was why I put the tour together. Because one thing we always we had done for years at International Living was I ran tours. We would sell tours and conferences to our readers. And then I or we had a couple of other people ran them. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to Ireland to open an office, I'll get double duty out of this experience, this investment of time, and we'll promote a tour to the to our readers. That's how Leaf, Leaf signed up for the tour. We met on the first day of the tour, and you can read the book, but um, <laughs> but he was not very nice to me. And then... <laughs> and so then, she says. I don't remember that part. It's in writing. It's published now. It's the truth. But then uh, for Leaf, it was similarly business, entrepreneurial-minded agenda. To, I wanted to be out of the States. And again, as Kathy said, supposedly they speak English in Ireland. We make fun of them and our Irish friends laugh at it at this point because there's lots of different words and, and mis- miscommunications. And I'd read about Ireland through what Kathy had been writing anyway. And so I had a couple of ideas for business and thought, right, Eng- an English-speaking country is where I wanted to be because I'd spent time overseas in a French-speaking country, a Spanish-speaking country, a Russian-speaking country. And although I had Spanish in high school and that came back to me while I was in Argentina, I didn't pick up so much French in Chad and I learned the Russian alphabet because I had to for processing payroll in Kazakhstan. But English, for me, it was going to make life easier. And um, you've never, I've never heard you say that before. That's interesting that the language was really a factor. Was part of, well, and, yeah. the, and, and the idea of just business and the Celtic tiger and all that. Right. Yeah. It was the, the age of the Celtic tiger. So Ireland was attracting a lot of investment and a lot of foreign investor attention. So that's not a typical story, right? I was being moved by the company I worked for and Leaf was moving to start a business and we right. accidentally met at that moment. But then from Ireland, we moved to Paris And that is, again, not a typical story, but maybe more typical reasoning. I don't know, maybe not at all. But we decided... (laughs) Typical in our life. Yeah, that our daughter, who had been going to school in Ireland, was 14. And in Ireland, they do what's called a gap year. So all 14-year-olds take off a year and they travel. They take a year for travel and go somewhere and study abroad. And Caitlin came and said, I'd like to do my gap year in Paris always the dream of my life since I was five years old and aware enough to know there was a place called Paris and my uh, mother was reading me stories about it, wanted to live in Paris. So I thought, well, this is interesting. So Caitlin and I went to Paris to see about enrolling her in a study away program or something. We couldn't find any anything suitable. So I, by the time we came back from that trip, I had the idea, well, why don't we all go to Paris? There's no boarding school in Paris, and so where she would have stayed in a home, a guest house, whatever the right term would be, we went and visited one. And you know, apartments in Paris are small. The room she would have been in was like a twin bed was placed in the room, and the door opened out, and you just fall into the bed, and that was the room. So we're like, no, she's yeah. not going to that won't be in a place like be, this. That won't be comfortable. So so then we were moving to Paris as a family. Okay, and we did by this time. Leaf, I will just jump ahead. Leaf was also working for Agora. He had come to work for Agora and he and I were running this international living 
division together, which we continue to do in Paris. Then fast forward some four years or so, and Leif decided he wanted to venture off and do something of his own. And he had identified a real estate investment project he wanted to undertake in Panama, on the Pacific coast of Panama. I decided the year later, I'd like to try doing my own thing as well. I had built a number of businesses within Agora, but it's not the same to build a business with all of that infrastructure behind you, all of that support, centralized services, blah, 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 as just starting from nothing and seeing what you can build on your own. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to see what I could do on my own. So I left Agora, left International Living, and started my own Live and Invest Overseas, which is what we're still running today about almost 15 years later. And we moved to Panama. So this could be a, maybe, again, a more typical version <laughs> of how this can go. But we knew that France was no place to be an entrepreneur, to run a business, because we had been running the Agora business the main there thing for is years. It's no place to have an employee. Yeah, The French labor laws will kill you. And we had, we had hired one office manager or secretary in Paris for the satellite office that we'd opened up there as part of the International Living Group. And you do, a, I think it was a six-month probationary contract in France. And on six months and one day, the girl's attitude changed completely. She was great up to that point. But once she knew she was on a permanent contract, she turned into a nightmare employee. Because it's impossible to fire anyone in France. So well, we don't have to yeah. go far down but that th- But that's, that's why we didn't want to stay in France to, to run a business. So then we looked at the world map and thought, well, where do we go? We were not retirees. And that's a very different agenda. You're going to look at the world map very differently if you're a retiree. But we were still uh, working. We were trying to, we were now going to be building two businesses. And we had still one child in school, elementary school aged child, our son Jackson. So we looked around and we had at this point had decades of experience doing business all over the world between what Leaf had done in Kazakhstan and Argentina, etc. And what I'd done through Agora in France and through Agora, I had been involved in businesses in about a dozen countries by this time. So we had a good idea of where wasn't good and why and what mattered. So if we were shopping, we knew what to look at. And one thing was labor law. Another thing was available labor pool, cost of operating a business. And so that's how we came to Panama. So while Ireland had been chosen for me and Leaf made the choice himself, but for a straight up business reason, and then Paris was in fact chosen by our daughter, we chose Panama. And that was a very, an ideal choice for us at the time and has worked out very well. Uh, Living Investor Overseas is doing well. Uh, has grown and we're very established in Panama now. Right. And so it worked from a business perspective because uh, for taxes, Panama is a jurisdictional taxation country. So we were able to set up the business in, in a way that we pay minimal taxes in Panama. English speaking staff in Panama City, there's a, a lot of English speaking and there's a lot of international, like big international companies like Adidas and Estee Lauder and Caterpillar that have set up offices in Panama for similar reasons. And then logistically for us to travel and Mm-hmm. To, to do the research we needed to do for lifestyle and real estate in other countries. Panama is called the hub of the Americas for a reason. And it's because Copa Airlines, they fly to every major city in the Americas directly. So from Panama, it's an easy hop for us or our staff to go somewhere and uh, and do research. Well, I guess from your guys' business backgrounds, you knew Panama would be a good place to start a business. But for the layperson who has no idea but wants to either like invest, move, or is an avid traveler and wants to open a business over there, tell us a little bit uh, about your guys' website and what it is that Live and Invest 
does to help people understand that. Because as a good example, you know, Brittany and I and Kim live here in San Diego. We're right by the Mexican border. We talk all the time. Should we buy a property in Mexico, like along the coast, this, that? So guide us through what it is that you guys do and what an everyday person can find and benefit from on your guys' website. Yeah, exactly. Everything we're talking about and and what you just described exactly, someone who's thinking, hmm, I wonder if I should buy a house, a rental, for example, in X country because it has your attention for whatever reason, maybe because it's it's nearby. For you guys, right, Mexico is just right there. And it would provide very easy diversification. Um, maybe the person's agenda is budget. That's where this, that's the starting point for this conversation often, especially for retirees. Well, I'm now 60 years old. I don't have what I thought I was going to have because of the stock market or whatever situation. My plan hasn't worked out. Am I going to be able to afford my retirement? You know, people today live regularly into their 80s and beyond and live healthy lives for decades beyond what just a generation or two before us did. That's a lot of living, you know, beyond your income earning years. So do I have enough nest egg to carry me through in a comfortable, interesting lifestyle? And a lot of the time, Americans, wherever they are, look around, unfortunately, and say, realize the answer is no, I really don't. So then they start looking beyond U.S. borders. But whatever the reason is, you know, it can be the weather. I'm tired of the snow. I want sun. I just want sun all year round. That's another really common priority agenda. So that's the starting point. That's where people usually connect with us through the internet. Of course, you go online today and you Google retire overseas, buy a house overseas, second home in the sun, any of those kinds of keywords. And you'll find us, you'll find thousands of other resources too, but you'll find live and invest overseas. And what we do is to take you from that point through our free e-letters. We publish now eight free e-letters. One is daily, and that comes from me. One is twice a week that comes from Leaf. And is the daily one for me is lifestyle. It's focused on living right. and retiring overseas. Well, that's I was going to say. So there's, th- there's kind of four main broad topics. There's retirement and just living overseas. There's more people younger like you guys that, that are mobile with their businesses or jobs that are like, okay, well, let's go have an adventure. And there's more and more opportunities Thanks to the pandemic, and countries offering digital nomad visas, long stay visas that aren't permanent residency, but you can stay a year or more. So there's the, the two lifestyle sides of things, and then there's the just the offshore side of things, which is investing, getting a second passport as a backup plan or second residency as a backup plan. You know, people thinking, well, if the wrong president gets elected, I'm leaving this country, so I'm going to set up a residency in Panama or Colombia today and be ready to to move. And then there's real estate for both lifestyle, you know, a second home a rental property, or, you know, you can be thinking buy your retirement home today, rent it out for the next five years, and then have that income and then move there once you actually retire. So there's lots of ways to think about the real estate. So we, that, that's a way, a good, a good way to frame what we do. We break it down, break down this big idea into the biggest pieces, biggest subsets. One is living and retiring. One is investing in property. So we have a free e-letter overseas property alert that's on buying property overseas and, you know, covers it from all angles, where to be looking, what to look for, what to expect to pay, all of the, you know, the how it works and the process. Exactly. It's different than buying property in the States. Right. There are different pitfalls and kind of caveats and things you need to look out for that Americans typically aren't prepared for because they take a lot of things for granted in the United States. And you can take these things for granted in the United States, like clear title, 
and history of ownership and things along those lines. In the United States, it's so easy to find out what something should cost because you can easily look at comps, comparables on real estate websites. That's not possible in the rest of the world. There is no multiple listing service. So there's no easy way to run comps to know, okay, I'm looking for a 2000 square foot, three bedroom, three bath house in this zip code on this much land, what should it cost me? It's impossible to answer that question in most of the world. So the onus, unfortunately, is much more on the buyer. So there's a lot you need to know. And we focus on that aspect of, of buying property a lot on what you need to know to buy safely and right. be the, happy. Just the, yeah, the things to consider. What, oh, then we have some destination specific e-letters because there are two angles involved here, big picture. One is the categorical aspects of this, you know, lifestyle, retirement, banking, residency, taxes, real estate, etc. That's all the how. And then there's the where. The how is not so fun. The how is mostly work. The how's the That's how is what I get to what Leaf focuses deal with on. Mostly. That's the taxes and banking and <laughs> how do you set up your your internet and your electricity, your utilities. It, there's, you know, there's a lot to it. That is, um, there are some general things you need to know, but then a lot of it is dependent on where you go, right. country by country. But that's the fun part, right? The where, oh my gosh, if I could live anywhere, where would I like to live? So I like to put it out to people. If you could have any view from your bedroom window when you woke up every morning, what would you most like it to be? Do you want to see a white sand beach in the Caribbean Sea? Do you want to see a waterfall down a mountainside? with wildflowers all around, you know, frame it that way. Do you want to surf a surfing beach? Or do you want to see old stone buildings? Because Europe, you know, historically people thought Europe's too expensive to retire to from the U.S., but it's not. And right now with the euro practically at parity, it's, it's definitely more affordable than it ever has been. It's been one of my dreams to live in Italy. And I never thought about it for retirement, but that makes like perfect sense. Do you guys have people coming to you for earlier retirement? Yeah, more and more. It, it, yeah, there, there's a range. When more and more our readers are getting younger, I mean, historically, 15, 20, 30 years ago, they'd be 65 and older and already on Social Security. And with the internet making things easier, and then just now the digital nomad trend, et cetera, we're finding younger and younger people looking to move for various reasons. One couple that moved to Belize to a development that a friend of mine runs, going down there with their eight, I think their eight kids. And mm-hmm. they were just fed up with the pandemic. They wanted to have some space because project has community gardens and it's on a river and they homeschooled anyway. So they decided they, they could just up and do it. And there's more and more people making that lifestyle right. move. Moving as a family, making a family choice to raise your kids in a very different kind of a way. Right. And then they're also today in the past few years, and it's a growing idea to be a, become a digital nomad. And so it's kind of that's a, I think of that as a very different demographic from what you're describing. A right. digital nomad is typically single maybe even in their 20s, maybe their 30s, but typically, most typically in their 20s. And they really just want an adventure. They don't want the nine to five. They don't want to be locked into anything. They want to go some, they want to have a way to earn an income through their laptop, basically. And as long as they have an internet connection anywhere in the world, they can go from here to there just and, as the, on a whim. Yeah. So consultant, but even doctors, there was one older doctor years ago, he Spent half the year in New Zealand. He was a radiologist. Spent half the year in New Zealand on a contract there because that's as long as he could stay there without um, getting legal residency. But then he was able to start reading x-rays and things remotely on the computer. So he was looking for a contract to do that, and he could be anywhere in the world to do his diagnosis. 
Well, I love how your guys' site pretty much caters to everybody, you know, retirees, like you're saying now, the digital nomad. I think a lot of people are really more wanting to do this, but more scared to take that initial step. I feel like you guys break it down. But Leaf mentioned something very interesting earlier, which was talking about setting up, you know, a second citizenship or even residency. And he mentioned somewhere Colombia, not necessarily there, but what would you say to somebody? And typically a lot of Americans, as you know, know one language. Would you need to know another language to do this? How would you start setting something like that up? And is that even a necessary first step if you wanted to buy property, invest or do anything like that? Yeah. So the first step depends on what your real end goal is and where and where you want to be. When I talk about the offshore topics, and that's the twice a week e-letter that Kathy was talking about, you know, so there's banking. And for some people, that's all they want to do. They want to get money out of the States. And we're all for that. Nothing wrong with having money in the States, but diversification. And we tell the story of Argentina, which is, you know, most Argentinians don't keep the bulk of their wealth in Argentina because they know at some point there's going to be a crisis in Argentina because it's a, there's always a crisis it's been a roller, co- roller coaster for the last 130 years. If it's not in crisis, it's about to be in crisis. And so, but, and the U S had, you know, there was a big crisis in 2008 and with that real estate crisis hit the U S it hit the rest of the world. But my real estate portfolio didn't take a big hit because in, in some countries, you know, properties went down 75%. I didn't own properties in those countries. Some countries properties went down only 15 to 20% and they recovered quickly. I did own properties in some of those countries. And so having that diversification economic and currency wise is one thing that our readers look for. Then there's the, we'll call it the lifestyle diversification from just being able to be somewhere else. And so if you want to be in another country longer than the tourist visa, which is 30 to 90 days, depending on the country, you need to apply for residency. And there are some countries that make more sense to have the residency set up, what we would call a backup residency, because you don't need to be there often to maintain your residency. And Panama and Colombia are two of those countries, which is why I mentioned them. For both of those countries, if you have a temporary residency, you only need to be there once every six months. If you have permanent residency, you only need to be there once every two years. Are there any other English-speaking countries that are easy to get a residential? Um, not really. <laughs> so Belize has a retiree program that is fairly easy. You just need $2,000, but it has to be pension income, retirement income, qualify. Uh, otherwise, there, no, there's not an English-speaking country that is easy to, to get a backup residency per se. But Sorry, let but, me interject to go back because I, I think what you were asking was, where can you go in the world if you don't want to learn a language? Or don't know it, correct. Or don't know, yeah, right. don't know a language. And so, right, so Ireland, but residency isn't easy. New Zealand and Australia, residency is really hard. It's not, not easy, it's really hard. Belize, if you're a retiree, residency is very easy. And if you're younger, it's very possible. It just requires renewing your... Well, well you, can, you can literally move to Belize and renew your 30-day tourist visa for 12 months in a row and then apply for permanent residency. So if you want to live right. in Belize... It's easy. Right. If you want it as a backup residency, not so right. much. But then beyond that, right, there are options for places to go where you don't have to, if you don't speak the language, you don't really have to learn the language if you don't want to, because there are pockets where there's such a, a big expat community, English is really common. Right. So, oh. for example, in Panama, there's a community called Boquete in the mountains, big expat community. You definitely could live in Boquete and not have to learn Spanish. You could live in Panama City and not learn Spanish. In fact, I shouldn't admit this, but (laughs) I've been living in Panama City full-time and now part-time for 
almost 15 almost years. 15 years and I don't really speak Spanish I get along I I can have a conversation until it gets really compli- complicated right and or I I have to then it, beca- it becomes Spanglish because I'm trying to keep up and I get confused and it becomes nonsense really we've been living in Paris again as well on and off over but, 20 years when we and lived you there, don't speak French at all when we lived there full-time for four years I made a goal of I'm not going to learn French because it's just going to screw up the, the Spanish that was still in my head. And I did a good job. I didn't learn much French, but I did pick up enough. You do, you'll, you'll pick it up. Enough that's, to that's get the thing. by. And especially now with computers and Google Translate, I can go online and order my groceries in Paris. And if I can't remember the word for green beans, which I can, but for example, you look it up on Google Translate, then you copy and paste that into the search in the grocery store app and right. there's, there's ways to, so you learn to how muddle to through. Work, how to muddle through. That's a good way to put it. But, but it's you'll find English harder speakers. to muddle through in a place where hardly anybody speaks English. Right. So again, back to the list of places where you find big English speaking populations. I would put on that list as well, say Puerto Vallarta and Lake Chapala, Mexico. Right. And other places in Mexico. Other and, places any, in Mexico. any tourist spot in Mexico. Yeah. Um, they're going to be a lot of English and speakers. Portugal, because British retirees have been going to Portugal for well since World War II, when the Brits were there, and they got to see how nice and sunny Portugal is, which is something that Britain nowhere in the UK is sunny, <laughs> ever. Not even most uh, all the year, but just almost never. And so they they thought, oh wow, this is pretty nice here, and started retiring there. And so now, all these decades later, they're big communities of British retirees, but also now American retirees and more and more American expats. So English, almost anybody you meet in the Algarve is going to speak English. A coworker of mine, actually, I work for an agency. And so we're on our computers now for work remote. And he and his wife moved to Portugal during the pandemic. And he's been absolutely Loving it there. Oh, great. Very cool. It's one of our favorite places. We've named it world's best place to retire overseas for nine years. It kind of checks every box. You know, we do literally create a big, massive spreadsheet for collecting data for this survey we do every year. And every year for the past several, we've all gotten together, all of our editors get together to have the, okay, let's start the work on next year's Retire Overseas Index. And we start by saying every year, and we will again this year, okay, Let's try not to name Portugal again. Let's try to find somewhere else because, you know, I feel like readers are going to start to think, okay, you guys, have you just no imagination? There are a lot of other countries in the world. Well, and we thin slice that index, in fact. And so we've chosen different places in Portugal and the margins have gotten closer in the, mm-hmm. fi- in the final scores in the last few years and probably something else because Portugal has become more expensive for real estate since we first started talking about it back in 2014, 2015. And that's one of the categories and the cost of living has gone up. It's still very affordable, but there are definitely yeah. cheaper places even in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, but back to the, the English question, Kim, there's two other places in Europe. So Malta, mm. English is a official language. It's not very easy to get, well, you need money if you want residency in Malta. Let's put it that way. It can be easy enough, but you, you need a fair amount of money. And then Cyprus, and we've been talking more about more and more about Northern Cyprus. So Cyprus is in the EU. The whole island is considered part of the EU, but the North, there was an issue back in 1974. It's been separated since 1974. And so in the North, the Turkish Cypriots have that side of the island. They speak English. In the South, the Greek Cypriots have that side of the island and they speak English. So you can be on either side of the island and, and get by with English without any problem. 
And in the north, you just need to buy a property and you can get residency. So right. of any price, a, any price. So you could buy a fifty thousand dollars studio, which is possible. There which, are which fifty thousand yeah. dollar nice studios in good locations. And in fact, in the last two years since the pandemic started, we've had maybe a dozen of our readers move there uh, already. We were there just a month or so ago, and you, everyone speaks English. We didn't meet you, anyone. You, yeah, who you can get by in English. Who wasn't but, able you, to speak? But to frankly, us. if you want to, and I do, you can get by with English in Paris. So you just, you'll need to learn wherever you're going. So you're going to want to learn the pleasantries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this from watching Rick Steves on television, you know, whatever, 30 years ago. You just need to learn the handful of words to get by and show and, and, and show, some res- yeah, show some respect yeah. to the people. And then they'll help you with whatever. And yeah. I've, I've impressed French friends with my ability to get things done by French bureaucrats simply because I start every conversation with parlez-vous anglais. I don't start speaking English. I don't ask them in English if they speak English. I ask them in French if they speak English. And I've gotten French bureaucrats to take me by the hand and walk me to where I need to be and stand there until it gets done because I'm showing some respect. I think what you just said right there is a really good tip. We mentioned that a lot of times in our podcast when we're going somewhere. Always learn kind of the key words, but the key words and things like that are good for a trip, not necessarily to live. And I appreciate you guys going over the the places where it's easy to get by with the, the solo language. But in terms of like investing or having a business, because I know you said if you don't really know the language, it's hard to kind of get that residency. But in terms of investing, having businesses, is it easy to get by without knowing the native language in a lot of places? For buying real estate, it is. it has been for me. We bought real estate in 24 countries, most of which I didn't speak the local language. We find English-speaking attorneys. That's the key. And, that, and so you find English-speaking support people. One example is in Croatia. We bought a property there many years ago. We had a great English-speaking real estate agent when we found the property. In fact, our first attorney there didn't uh, speak English, but he did all the title work and the, the real estate agent did the translations for us. And I found a great contractor, builder, mm-hmm. who speaks well enough English for us to do business. He's introduced us to an English-speaking architect who's doing the plans. And we found now an English-speaking attorney to help us um, with some other things. To but our, our, main, yeah, our yeah. main advice, if you're uh, going to buy property in another country, even if you do speak the language, your main ally and the most important first step is to find an English-speaking attorney who has experience helping expats buy, foreigners buy. Because the process, again, as we we said already, is going to be so different from what you're used to in the United States. So you don't want to even begin, I would say. You don't want to even begin looking for property until you find an attorney who you can communicate with comfortably and trust that you both are understanding each other. And he knows or she has experience helping foreigners buy. So we'll be thoughtful and mindful of pointing out things that they know you're not going to know because they know Americans don't know this. You don't want to work with an attorney who's never helped an American buy in that country before because he or she will probably take for granted that you know how it works and may not tell you something that you really need to know because in your mind, it could be a deal breaker. Oh, wait, no, this is not going to work for me. And they'll just assume you know it because everybody knows that, but you don't know it and you don't even know to ask about it. So it's it's really important to find an attorney who has experience working with foreign buyers, especially Americans. I have two questions on that for you. One, anywhere on your site, do you connect your readers with attorneys that you'd recommend or trust? 
We do. Yeah. So Kathy talked about the free e-letters. We have paid services as well. And so in those paid services, and we do conferences, most of our conferences, we have a real estate and an immigration attorney that speaks. Usually it's the same attorney because they do both things. And so, yes, we have, we have those resources, real estate developers and agents in many countries. And that's our goal going into any new country that we haven't spent time in ourselves is to find the resources we would want and we would need so that we can uh, share, right. them, share them with our readers. That's where we start. In any country where we're looking to invest ourselves, we, if we don't already have a good attorney contact, we start out actively focused on finding that attorney. And we'll talk with a bunch and kind of interview a bunch and, and then choose one. And it turns out now, all these years later, that our best friends around the world are attorneys <laughs> and architects. And then my second question was, what are one or two of those things that you've come across that surprise you you didn't know in the house buying process overseas? Well, so the the one big one, and this hit us square in the face when we bought that Georgian house in Ireland, is things aren't the same overseas. We started to figure that out. And so in the U.S., everything's run by the real estate agent and the title company. And the process is very similar, purchase by purchase. And in Ireland, they don't do things the same way. So the home inspection was the one thing that hit us in the face. So we asked to have a home inspection, which can happen, but there's not a home inspection industry. So well, they well, the, let me just say real quickly, they were surprised. They being everyone involved in the conversation, or even including our attorney, didn't quite understand what we meant by a home inspection, and were surprised we were asking about this. In other words, it's not a thing in it, Ireland, it, but it is available, and there are people who put themselves out as home inspectors. The guy we were introduced was is a civil engineer. And so he came and inspected the house and he sent his report. And his report only talked about the decorations. How's <laughs> it do with, with new wallpaper and prettier curtains? Well, of course they could. But what he didn't tell us, which we found out after we bought the house, was about the dry rot in the baseboards and the wet rot in the floorboards and, and the whatever. And the furnace didn't work. And, and yeah, the, all the things that you would expect from a home inspection. And again, the guy was a civil engineer, so he knew what to look for, but he decided to comment on the decor. So <laughs> that was that, that was one big thing. The other thing that we, t- we talk about a lot, especially in our real estate conferences and newsletters, is the transfer taxes, the, co- the round trip cost of buying and selling overseas. And most countries have a transfer tax from one to say 10%. And so this is one reason we recommend rent before you buy when you're moving to a new country. Because if you buy wrong and you say, ah, well, I want to be in Paris, but you buy in the wrong arrondissement and you decide you want to be on the other side of town. Well, you're going to have to, when you sell, you'll pay the real estate agent's fees and whatever. But then you've sunk that 6% transfer tax in the first property. And now you're going to have to spend it again in the next property. So buying and flipping as an investor doesn't make sense in most countries because of the transfer tax. And so it's something you need to also keep in mind with your budget, because if you have, say, $200,000 to buy, you think, okay, I can buy a $200,000 apartment or home, but you can't. You got to back that number down to make sure you can cover the the legal fees, of course, but also the transfer tax, whatever it ends up being. Well, and then I'll add one more, which is that Americans um, might be surprised to find out that financing, bank financing isn't generally available or there are lots of places in the world where it's not going to be possible for you as a foreign buyer to borrow from a bank. And in the places where it is possible, the terms are going to be surprising to you. You know, you might not be able to get a fixed rate of interest, for example, it might only be variable rate and it might only be 50% loan to value, maximum loan possible. 
And, um, and one, the big one is if you're older, most banks in most countries are only going to give you a mortgage to age 70 or 75. So if you're already 65, you know, you're going to get a 10-year mortgage maybe. Maximum, yeah. And you're going to have to buy life insurance in that country to pay off the mortgage if you die before it's paid off, which is going to add a cost that can make it prohibitive for, for many people. That was actually going to be one of my questions because when we were talking about buying the condo in Rosarito and renting it out as an Airbnb, that was something I was thinking of. Is how do you go about financing and would a bank even lend to you in Mexico? And right. my other big concern about that was what about not necessarily safety, but keeping the home safe when you're not there. I think that's a big concern. I have probably a lot of people you speak with too. Right. And so, you know, buying in a, in a condo building where there's management or in a gated community is one way for that. For like our one, our one property, which is in an apartment building in, in Medellin, we have, a, we have a maid that comes once a week and checks on things. And there are doormen and whatnot. So property's secure from that perspective. But right, if I have property on some land outside of town, you're probably going to want to hire a caretaker to, you know, live in the guest house or something like that. The more remote the property yeah. is, the more you need to focus on security. And you want a caretaker or someone in residence, ideally, or at least someone coming to check, you know, regularly and often. If you're in a very remote location, you really want someone there checking a lot. Well, and not even just for security. Right. We joke about this, but water is the bane of our existence. And so, you know, constantly have a leak somewhere right. or a flood. So either from the roof, if it's a house or from the apartment above, if it's an apartment. So our one apartment in Paris, the apartment above us has had leaks in its bathrooms three times in the nine years, 10 years we've owned the apartment. So well, if someone's you, not there checking it, then. And my favorite water story for us is going back. This is a couple of decades ago, but in Buenos Aires, Argentina, we bought some apartments to rent them. The whole idea, these were investment properties investment, just, just yeah. to rent. So we had a great rental manager and everything was great. We rented, we didn't do total renovations, but we made some improvements, furnished them, put them up for rental. Everything was going great. We liked our rental manager. We were getting good occupancy. We were getting good cash flow. Oh, great, great, great. And then suddenly one month we had zero rentals. And so we called the woman and said, what's going on? What happened? Wow, we had a month of nothing. How could that happen? And she said, well, I can't rent it with that flood in the bedroom. Oh, and no. <laughs> but she hadn't thought to tell no, us no, there was no, a leak no, or a flood. No, or, so, so no the, one told us anything. There was damage to the ceiling. It was the top floor apartment. So it was from the roof, not a, an apartment above. But yeah, it seems like Every other month, we're having to deal with the water issue somewhere. So that's why you need someone who's checking for you and communicating back in as close to real time as possible. Hey, my gosh, you have a leak in the bathroom or the hot water heater has exploded or, you know, all the things that happen with a house, with a home. You just want to find them out sooner rather than later. But while, you right. know, so the even, longer they so, go, the worse it gets. So even if you're buying just as a second home and don't intend to rent it out, right. you need some kind of property management person in place. Well, I think your guys' stories and tales of your business is really, really great. And even just perusing your guys' site, I gained a wealth of knowledge and I can only imagine what you get actually on the subscription portion of things. But yeah, I know you mentioned you guys have consistently rated Portugal, nine years, I believe it is, best place to retire. Where would you say for somebody who's not looking to get residency, but actually put money down in an investment property, where in the world would you say right now to do that? If you're up for the adventure of it and the potential risk, and if you're just starting out overseas and want to just put a small amount of capital at risk, really Northern Cyprus is one of the best options. 
you can buy for less than $100,000. You can get turnkey management from the developers who rent the places out short term and have separate management marketing companies specifically for that. And the net yields, once the traffic from that's dropped off from the pandemic comes back, the net yields on a lot of places could end up being in, in double digits, which is which is good rare. in, in case rare. anybody yeah. listening doesn't realize that. So, so Northern no, Cyprus. Northern Cyprus and other markets. I mean, Mexico has great markets. So you guys mm. talked about Rosarita. I don't know that market very well. Um, I'm not sure how well it works for vacation rentals. Puerto Vallarta is always at the top of my list. I know that you can do good rentals there. And Playa del Carmen, you know, I spent a lot of time in that part of Mexico in the early 2000s and kind of then put it out of my head because I thought, oh, Playa del Carmen is past. Property prices have gotten so expensive. And then we sent one of our uh, real estate writers there about 10 years ago. And he came back and said, they're getting 8%. They're getting, some places are getting as high as 10% right now, net rental yields. I'm like, wow, at those current prices. And so Playa del Carmen seems to be a very strong, steady market if you buy in the right place to get good net rental yields. All right. Then what if your appetite for risk is lower? Because Northern Cyprus wouldn't be for everyone. Right. A, a lot of Americans, a lot of people in the world wouldn't have ever heard of it, wouldn't know where it is on the map. So if you think more like someone who wants something a little more comfortable, I would say Dominican Republic, which is a, a, just a good, strong Caribbean market. Yeah, it is. But I would I'd go back to Mexico, in fact, first. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and you mentioned, yeah, can you get a mortgage in Mexico? And we have someone a longtime friend and writer who's been doing this for about 20 years. He retired by reading us and then wrote to us and say, hey, I'm in Ecuador. Can I write for you? He, so he's lived in Ecuador, Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, and now Mexico. So he, he's our Mexico expert. And so you can get mortgages from some Mexican banks. But there's also some U.S. banks that have, and I believe still are, lending in certain markets in Mexico because they've set up the infrastructure to be able to secure their loan. And most of those are out of Texas. And it's because they're Texas clients wanted to buy in Mexico. So they figured they had enough of a wealthy clients to, to figure it out. So there are borrowing opportunities for Mexico. And the other way to borrow is from the developer. Mm-hmm. So more and more developers are offering you know short term. to short to midterm yeah, terms. terms. If you buy pre-construction, you're going to be making payments over the two to three year construction period. But some developers will go beyond that, including some of the developers we work with in Northern Cyprus. They'll do five year terms for a certain portion of the units that they sell, which is two years beyond the construction time. Other markets, I mean, Panama is still relatively strong, but you've got to pay attention and know where to buy. There's not a lot of markets right now to just buy anywhere and expect good returns. Portugal is another market where if you buy right, you can still get good returns. But Europe in general, they're more stable markets and more liquid markets. Years ago, we talked about um, pre-construction properties in Mongolia because they were projecting 15 to 20 percent net returns because all the mining that was going on, companies going in there, sending in executives, they're paying two, three thousand dollars a month for nice apartments. Okay, great. But are you going to go to Mongolia to check up on your property? And what happens when those companies leave? Are you going to be able to sell that for what you paid for it? Probably not. So you want to look at liquidity and the the stability of the market. We don't ever think about appreciation. I focus on the yields. And if a property is yielding well, then we'll invest. And appreciation is just a secondary profit because everybody should have learned that back in 2008. A lot of people didn't. It's a good segue into what's going on with the market right now. There's a lot of conversation on is the bubble going to pop? And is it still a good time to buy? How do you think that's impacting overseas real estate? We're hearing a lot from a lot more Americans who are saying, okay, I'm ready to take some of my profits out of the stock market and 
I real I realize I'm seeing that what you guys have been preaching all all along is is really important. I need some diversification outside U.S. markets, outside uh, the U.S. stock market, and also U.S. housing markets. And we couldn't agree more. And it's definitely we're seeing a growth in interest in not only going overseas, but in some ways more so buying overseas, buying property overseas. Right. Well, and that reminds me of another way to get financing to buy overseas, which was done a lot in you know 2003 to 2007, I guess, um, which is take out an equity line on property you have in the States. Mm. And so if you could take out an equity line at three to even 5%, that's going to be cheaper than a mortgage you would even be able to get in, say, Panama, which you, foreigners can get a mortgage in Panama, but you're going to pay 7% there right now. Europe, you can get mortgages for as little as 3%, still 2 to 3%, but it's going to be harder to qualify when you've got those age restrictions. This has been so interesting. I know the conversation gravitated more towards real estate. We'll have to have you back on the podcast sometime in the future to talk about the, the lifestyle of living the expat life. So I'm sure it's entirely different than living in the United States. For me, the main difference, we've been living outside the States for almost 25 years now. And we're in the United States right now, which is for us, I feel more like a foreigner here now than when we're in other places where we spend time. And the main difference for me is that living overseas, at least in the places where we've lived, the biggest benefit is that you don't know what to expect day to day. Things aren't predictable. Life is full of the unexpected, and I like that. And I think it's important if you're someone who's thinking about moving overseas, especially in retirement age, how comfortable are you in with ambiguity, I think, is a key question to ask yourself. Because in the United States, wherever you're living, you know, everything is very predictable. You know how things work. You know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, how your day is going to go. In the rest of the world, well, of course, everything's going to be different to start. It is foreign. So you're going to have some culture shock. But then even beyond that, once you've settled in, you'll find that you can't count on things being as predictable as they are in the United States. And definitely you can't count on things to be as convenient. The United States is the most convenient place in the world to live. We've been talking about this a lot these past two weeks we've been here. And that's great. And for us, it's like a holiday because it's just so easy to do anything at any time, you know. But we spend now our our years divided generally between Panama and Paris. And then we, we travel a lot, but we're either in Panama or Paris much of the year now. And on any given day in Panama, for sure, you don't really know what's going to happen. Is, you know, the electricity going to be out? Is the road going to flood? Are you going to be able to do what you've planned to do? And Will that business you need to go to be open because the owner just decided to take a day off? That's true in Paris, too. They're just closed. So we have this joke where you say one thing. Choose one thing that's important to get done today. And if you get anything beyond that done wow. But if you get that one thing done, call it a win. That day was a success. If you set your agenda too ambitiously, you're just constantly disappointed. You'll, you're you'll constantly, burn, you'll, you'll burn you're, out. Fr- you're yeah. just frustrated all the time. So you have to be willing to take a very different perspective than we do. And I think most Americans do, especially in the United States where, okay, this is how things work. This is how things work. We're, this is what we're doing today. Things don't work that rigidly or that reliably in most of the rest of the world. And for me, I find that charming. Sometimes like, you're right. Sometimes you get crazy and you just want to scream. But for the most part, for me, life is more interesting that way and charming. And you, if you can just laugh it off, then you enjoy the laughter. 
rather than being frustrated because it's not working the way you want it to work, whatever it is. I agree. I think that's a beautiful way to live. Slow down a little bit and just take life as it comes. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you've given us so many good tips. Like I'm inspired. I want to move overseas today. (laughs) Before we close this out though, can you leave our audience if they're ready and they want to live overseas, they want to invest overseas today, what is your top piece of advice that you would give this person? I have to have two. And I'm going to say <laughs> one is for someone who is impatient and wants just immediate gratification. And the other is for someone who likes to take things more slowly and process things. If you just want to figure out how to make a move, I've written a book called How to Retire Overseas, and it works for anyone at any age. One frustrating thing for us all these decades is we can't come up with a better catchphrase for this than retire overseas, but it's definitely not only for retirees. And so the book is called How to Retire Overseas. And I really believe, and I promise you, and I've heard this from hundreds of people over the years who've bought this book. No kidding. We got someone who wrote in today to our customer service to say more or less this, and a photo of the couple on the balcony of their Ocean View condo in Panama City. They moved in this year. They're settled. They're thrilled with their new life. And they said, this is all thanks to your book. We read your book. It broke everything down. It took us through the whole process. And now a year later, here we are on our balcony in Panama. We couldn't be happier. Thank you. So if you want to just really figure this out quickly, the How to Retire Overseas book will help you do that, make it possible. If you want to take it slower and really just look all over the world and consider lots of options, just sign up for our daily e-letter, the one that I put out, because it presents this conversation we've had the past 45 minutes or so is the conversation we have in that e-letter every day. And every day we're looking at a different place from a different angle and just putting out options and ideas, planting seeds. And it allows you to work through this more slowly, as I said, and to consider lots of opportunities. The other big thing we hear a lot, especially at conferences from expats that we invite to speak to the group is they wish they would have done it sooner. So some people can prepare for years, Mm -hmm. decades. We have people who write into us, I've been reading you for 25 years and now it's too late for me. I'm, you know, I'm now 93. It's too late for me to move overseas. So just decide what you want to do and do it. And you can do it in in a test way if you want to. Today, it's easier than ever. Rent an Airbnb for 90 days in a country you think, in a destination Mm -hmm. you think you might be interested in. Just try it out. and, And try it out. And then come home. And then if you really liked it, then go back. And while you're there for those 90 days, you're going to meet people and find the resources, the attorney for residency, if you mm-hmm. decide you want to do it, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. But do something. That's my advice. Just and do worst something. case, exactly what Leaf is describing, worst case. And if you can only do it for 30 days to go for 30 days, worst case, you have a great story to tell the rest of your life and you've had a vacation. And so we try to say, take the pressure off yourself. This isn't an all or nothing. It isn't. It doesn't have to be that you are selling everything you own, walking away from everyone you've ever known and say goodbye. You know, I'm moving to Argentina. That's a little scary, right? For a lot of people. And this approach allows you, depending on your scheduling, your budget, you know, all those personal factors, of course, come into putting your strategy together. But what if you could do this twice a year for a couple of years, try a place on for size that you could go have this experience in four different destinations. And then you've got all of that experience behind you, all those stories to tell. And then you can look back over it and say, okay, I've had this, this amazing opportunity to try these four different, very different lifestyles on for size. And you know what? None of them were right. This idea of moving overseas isn't for me, but okay, great. You've had these great trips and now you know that's not for you and you can move on. It's not full time for you anyway. 
Our experience, though, is that, as Leif already said, most everyone we talk to, and at this point, it's tens of thousands of people at conferences over the years, who the only regret they have is that they didn't do it sooner. Whatever version, this is so customizable, whatever version of this they figure out works best for them, that if it's full-time, part-time, moving from one country to another in a kind of perpetual way, you know, where you're not committed to one place, but you're still very flexible and able to move from place to place. And for years, we have friends who for 40 years now have been doing this uh, since the age of 35. The only regret we really hear is that I didn't try this sooner. I didn't start out sooner. I feel like what you're saying completely resonates with everybody who finally takes that leap to do something just in general. I mean, we preach that on the podcast all the time, try to encourage people to travel, say it's easier to do than not. And I think you guys bring that to travel, but in a business perspective also. And I think that's really great advice to close out this episode. But one last question that I have, I know we talked a lot about your guys' newsletters. And from my understanding of what you said, a lot of that stuff is free in 30 seconds or less. I'll let you guys plug what you can actually do and utilize on the paid version and subscription on your site. What I would recommend, I'm, I can't help myself, what I'm going to plug yeah, right now. <laughs> the, go yeah, ahead. She, I know what she's going to say, which is start start with the free e-letters and then go from there. And so the, the progression is the free e-letters and then subscribe to one of the paid subscriptions that suits what you're looking for, whether it's real estate, lifestyle, right. or offshore. And we also have some just one-shot products that are available books and things. Um, But then really, if you're truly interested in this idea, look at our conference schedule. And Mm -hmm. thanks to the pandemic, we've been able to create, even for our in-person conferences, virtual access. So you don't even have Mm -hmm. to go to the country, although we highly recommend it for the in-person conferences. But they range from one-day workshops. We just did one for Dominican Republic last week Mm -hmm. to full three-day conferences for some of our more popular countries that require more information. And you can sit at home and listen to it and, mm-hmm. you know. You get the recording so you can go back over it and over it. And you, and these are live and interactive. So you can ask questions and get responses in real time. You can uh, schedule a chat with any of the speakers. And we'll have at these events the English-speaking attorney we personally work with, real estate agents, bankers, everybody you would need to know we, to we, make we, a move. We cover all the, all the, topic, all the mundane administrative topics from – Shipping to banking, you know, buying real estate, immigration, residency, and and we have expats talking as well, telling their stories, and yeah. every everyone has a different story. So from single women, that's a big question we got: is it safe for single women to move overseas? We know many who have to older couples, younger couples, people mm-hmm. still working, et cetera. And I'll give a final plug, if you don't mind, because now that you reminded me of conferences, which are really valuable, we have coming up. Two events that I think should be interesting to anyone who's at all really interested in this idea. One is focused on Europe as a region, and one is focused on Latin America as a region. And so those are great starting points because for those, we'll be looking at the best choices in that region and why those are the best choices in that region. And then we'll be breaking down what you would need to know to actually make a move to a country in that region. What would be the best place to go in Europe, depending on who you are in your circumstances and your priorities, and how would you get there? And so if you have in your mind, oh, I really think I would love to live and retire in Europe. Well, you'd learn everything you would need to know to make that decision in three days. Those sound amazing. You sound like a good time to take a little trip, <laughs> a little business and pleasure. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. This was amazing. Very, very interesting. 
Thank you for the, for the invitation. Our pleasure. Yeah. We love to talk about this. So thank you. As you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a wealth of knowledge for us and for anybody who is looking for different business ideas or a travel lover who wants to make travel into a business, so to speak, also. So yeah. I know we took a lot from this and I know our listeners definitely will too. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thank you guys for being on. All right, squaddies, we hope you enjoyed this episode with Kathleen and Leif as much as we did. Hope you are inspired to also start looking into your overseas adventures. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at Travel Squad Podcast and send us in your questions of the week. If you found the information in this episode to be useful or if you thought we were just plain funny, please be sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. And please subscribe, rate and review our podcast, and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you. Bye, squatties. Bye, Bye squatties. squatties.